welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM, brought to you by Riverbend Seniors Community. When you live at Riverbend, you will feel right at home. Well, Sharon, we're on. Now, this is Senior Moments, and Judy and I are here, and we've got Leanne Carlson on the line. Hello, Leanne. Hello. How are you today? Finally. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. I really um, want to apologize for, you know, I, I don't know how long we've been trying to get together, and then I overbooked last week, so I really, please accept my apologies. I'm very no interested. Yep. I, I think a lot of that's going around right now. <laughs> Preoccupation. It's a weird world these days. It, isn't it ever? Now, Leanne, you're an artist, and I, oh. I went on your, your page, and I have to say, you have some very beautiful pottery and and um and the goldfish the goldfish is just exquisite how big is it i have a couple of sizes there's one about nine inches wide and then there's some that are almost two feet by ten inches wow and they're beautiful and so you work in clay yes i work in clay yeah and i do and I dig my own clay also. Oh, do you really? Yeah, for some of it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come over to my place? Because <laughs> that's all I got. I tried to do a garden. It's all clay. Um, but clay, uh, when I was, where I lived down in Cornell, there was a lot of clay when we were digging the well. And I really found myself enjoying the feel of it and making a face out of it. And But you uh, use a, a spinner or whatever you call that wheel. The pottery wheel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really fun. The most important thing about clay is the temperature at what, what it melts. Okay. And a lot of the local clay that you find in yards here, it melts at a lower temperature, and it, it may be good for glazes. Yes. But it's a lot of fun to build things, but if you fire it in the kiln, um, figuring out its melting point is the tricky part. Yeah, when I was, I lived in Haney, which is now Maple Ridge, and they had blue clay. And um, I don't know if that's special or if you managed, if you use that. It depends. The first thing you need to do is test it in a kiln okay. and see what happens when you heat it up. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to heat it up to a temperature to make it nice and strong. And then you worry about color later. Mm-hmm. And when um, I was just reading a history um, book, and in it, uh, they were talking about China thousands and thousands of years ago, and they found a way to make, is a a black, um, you know, putting things in a kiln or in the ground or something, and there's a special way to develop black. Yeah, I did that too, actually. It's a real primitive type of firing and how every country started by just simply firing it in basically a pit like a fire. And I, I have one like that in my backyard. I've brought a lot of school groups mm-hmm. to my yard, and, and we have a pit, and it's kind of made out of bricks. It's above the ground, mm-hmm. and we layer sawdust and wood in it and fire pieces in there, and, and they turn black. Isn't that interesting, eh? Mm-hmm. And And so you do teach. You do have classes. I do teach. I'm teaching very limited classes right now because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm teaching homeschoolers that have committed to 12 weeks of lessons, and they have a small bubble, and I have a small bubble. Mm-hmm. And then I have some members, and it's the same idea. They have a small bubble, and I have a small bubble. 
I can't mm-hmm. have the high amounts of traffic in right now like I used to mm-hmm. because I like everybody. We're doing our best to keep the risks down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you, um, when you... When you make a dish, because some of your dishes are just absolutely lovely, they're exquisite. Now, do you paint them, or is that in the clay? That's a good question. Um, every clay turns a different color in the kiln. Mm-hmm. Um, glazes are like a science. You need to formulate them so they kind of shrink at the same rate as the clay. Um, they need to stick to the clay properly, and then, of course, there's color and surface. You want them to be food safe. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's done. What, what we normally do is fire the work once and then glaze it and then put it back in the kiln and fire it again. So um, the first time I really saw someone using a wheel was in that movie Ghost. And, and, and she made it look, I don't know, almost sexy. <laughs> that was a pretty sexy scene, you know, that yeah. movie, I've been potting for 30 years, mm-hmm. and that movie had already been out for a while when I started, mm-hmm. and every single time I teach, teach a pottery class, mm-hmm. somebody brings that movie up. <laughs> that was a hot, heavy, sexy scene that nobody has forgotten. No, because of the way that she handled uh, the clay and the water, and, and it was very... Oh, she loved it. And, and I, it might have had something to do with Patrick Swayze sitting behind her. <laughs> well, I, I've never thought of him as particularly handsome. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was really interested in the clay. And so yeah. you, you have a shop? I do have a shop. And my shop is in the building. Years ago, it was Hart Elementary School. Okay. Um, and, and we're only eight minutes from downtown. So mm-hmm. we're close to town. We're kind of on the way to the Hart. Mm-hmm. And then, and there's been a, like, Dance Your Heart Out has been in there for 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And I've been in there for seven. Uh-huh. And for a long time, we had a lot of secondhand shops in there. Mm-hmm. But when COVID-19 hit, mm-hmm. the secondhand shops move out. And we looked around, and the four artist groups were left. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catered Quilt Works, the Artist Co-op, uh, Dance Your Heart Out, and myself, uh-huh. and Pottery. So we thought... This should be an art center that, you know, would make more sense to have more artists in here. I think that's, yeah. So I'm really excited now that we're going in that direction. It's really changed the atmosphere and the energy in there, and and it's really fun to be around other makers. Yeah, and I think that uh, the dance and the... yeah, all of it comes together. Everything is part of something, especially in art. And so you call this project TOG? Is it TOG? T-O-G? Yeah, we, we call it the TOG. And TOG is short for together. Oh. And we just thought it was a short, simple name that would be easy to remember and really easy to make a big sign for. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so in a community through creativity is our motto, and we just want to provide a supportive atmosphere for artists. And, um, yeah, so that's what we're working towards now. Now, so are you advertising or inviting artists to come and um, take, a, take a spot? 
We're hoping to. Yeah, we. Um, and I'm not. I'm. I'm being the spokesperson right now. I'm really a tenant in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the building manager asked me to speak for her on the radio, mm-hmm. and so yeah, they they would like to rent to other artists, and I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. We have rooms available to rent out permanently. And there's also lots of opportunities to do pop-ups, like tables or um, parts of the room. So they're open to renting short-term or Mm longer-term. Well, I was just thinking about um, the farmer's market downtown that has a lot of um, people um, with tables there that have um, what I call artwork. They make Mm -hmm. uh, aprons and and, uh, really interesting um, face mask or uh, face mask, yeah, and stuff. And maybe are you going to maybe a little market too? Uh, the, I'm not sure what your question is, but absolutely uh, would like to do and would like to a little bit if it takes on a life of its own. Yeah. But the idea behind it is that everybody that's in there that's permanent resident is making things yes um so i'm not i'm not sure if there would ever be food or anything involved but right now we're just trying to get other creators makers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so that you know even if 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 your shop is open for customers if it's a slow day you can still keep busy and make the things you make yeah that's that's one of the things about the the um, <clears throat> Civic Center when they have the the uh, um, art uh, day over there and people are sitting there making you know sewing blankets and knitting and mm-hmm. creating and uh, I I just love that when it comes on in December um, and so it, so for the artists and the other thing I was thinking of when we were talking was the senior center up there you know you probably got a lot of seniors in there that are are, are painters. And uh, probably creators, because they probably have made blankets and they probably uh, knit. I know my friend Greta, she designs, uh, she's in another community, but she's decided to design her own sock style and her own toque style and stuff. And she's 85. Right. So it might be an idea to put a, a little sign up at the senior centers to see if there's people who are doing that sort of thing and want to have a table. Well, that's a good idea, and if any of your listeners are out there and that's something they like to do, mm-hmm. they can certainly... Uh, we're on Facebook. The the building itself, you can contact the building manager on the TOG on Facebook, and TOG is very easy to spell. It's only T-O-G. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so, do you have a phone number for them? I do. Yeah. It is. Let me take a look here. I got a little sheet. Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. It's also on the Facebook page. I saw it a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not... I'm sorry that I don't have that handy. Oh, here it is. I found it. 778-281-3955. Okay. And 3955 is the phone number, and it's also the address, 3955 Heart Highway. Okay. And I, I just hope it works out, and... Uh, I think um, it's a great idea. Uh, I love the work that you do, Leanne. Oh, thank you very much. And I hope people will go on your uh, page because Christmas is coming, and these are unique pieces that you've you've created. And um, I have a frog that I thought I'd like to bring you to 
to copy because it's the funniest frog you ever saw in your life. And, <laughs> and when, I, oh, when I'm coming up that way, I'll pop it in my purse and bring it because he, he's sitting there with one leg out, one leg up, <laughs> and he's holding a flower. <laughs> and he looks really stupid. It sounds good, and we will be open December 4th, okay. 5th, and 6th, and we're looking for other people if they'd like to have tables and just rent a space for that weekend. Wonderful. Good. Okay, well, Leanne, the best of luck. Thank you Thank so you much. much. Thanks for giving us the time today. And um, stay, in, stay in touch with me and let me know how it's going, and we can do another interview later on. Sounds good. There's a interview with me uh, with Two Rivers celebrating the um, Inspiring Women Among Us right. this week. And uh, I just thought I'd let you know that. That's good. In case anybody's interested. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And best of luck to Tog. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. This is Senior Moments, and we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with our next guest. Tim Yule here reminding you to tune in every Thursday at 1230 for Entertainment 90, your weekly review of entertainment locally and everywhere else. We'll be reviewing everything from movies and television to theater and music. What's hot and what's not and helping you get the most of your entertainment dollar. That's Entertainment 90 every Thursday at 1230, only on your community radio station, 93.1 CFIS. And until then, stay entertained, my friends. Prince George's newest seniors community is waiting for you at 1444 20th Avenue. Riverbend Manor offers a safe, affordable, and centrally located rental housing option. Rent is based on your income and includes three daily meals, all of your utilities, housekeeping, and much more. Riverbend has a jam-packed weekly calendar of activities to fit both active and passive lifestyles. Part of Prince George's leading seniors community, Riverbend Manor. Call 250-596-8097 to book your tour today. The Community Arts Council is holding their AGM at 2 p.m. on November 24th. Those planning to attend will need to register in advance to receive the Zoom meeting link. Current members have been notified by email. If you did not receive an email or would like to become a member of the CAC, visit studio2880.com for contact information. That's the annual general meeting for the Community Arts Council, 2 o'clock Tuesday, November 24th via Zoom. Forecast from Environment Canada, today a mix of sun and cloud with wind from the north at 20k, a high of 4. Tonight a few clouds, wind from the southwest at 30 gusting to 50, becoming light overnight, a low of minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 12. On Wednesday increasing cloudiness, wind from the northwest at 20 in the afternoon, a high of minus 1 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 10. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Manor, you're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Sharon, we're back on. Oh, good. And I and think our we... our next caller is on. Good. So we have Moose Meadows with Heloise. Hello, Heloise. Yes. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And uh, there's a little relationship be- between Heloise and I that she never knew about, neither did I. But her doctor was my physician when I was in Haney. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was a pretty good guy, Heloise. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah, that's the the world is small, isn't it? Yes. And here you are. You're you're at uh, Nasco Road. Yeah, we're located just outside of Quinell, about fifteen kilometers in a small rural community called Bushy Lake. Oh yes, I know Bushy Lake. Yes, I I was down in uh, uh, Quinell for a very long time, from seventy two. 
until 95, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, you followed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's neat. And so you have quite an interesting place that you live in. And uh, you're. I wanted to get you on because Christmas is coming, because people are stuck in their houses. And I thought maybe they'd like to take a drive on a Sunday down to your establishment and have a look at what you're offering there. Oh, that's lovely. That's really, really lovely. And, and so you're making a syrup out of uh, birch. Yeah, we do birch syrup. Um, we are probably one of maybe 15 producers across Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been doing that since about 2007. We started on a really small scale. Mm-hmm. And then actually about t- 2005, 2006. And then in 2007, we actually um, built a proper little sugar shack. Oh. And so we, have a, we actually have a, uh, an evaporator that you would typically see in sugar maples or mm-hmm. sugar bushes back in, say, Ontario and Quebec. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've got a little sugar shack on our property. Oh, too. nice. I remember uh, sugaring off parties and when I was a kid because my uh, aunt and uncle lived in Quebec. And I remember the horse, you know, the the horse is pulling the sled and Uncle Harry getting loaded on rum and maple syrup and falling <laughs> off of the wagon and breaking his leg. But I don't oh think goodness. he... I don't oh my think, goodness. Yeah, it certainly is. A, it's a Canadian tradition in parts of the world. Across Canada. Yeah. Uh, maple syrup, mountains, moose, and, and mac jackets. Yeah, exactly. And they had a, uh, a sugar bush. And so the um, Quebecers had come in and, and do it every year, and there was a sugar shack there. And us kids got to eat it off of the snow. Right, yeah. taffy. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Yes. And yes. so you also have alpaca and llamas. We do, and we've had them. We've been on our farm since 2002, mm-hmm. and we got our first um, three alpacas um, in 2003, and we now have a herd of about uh, 20. Most of them are alpacas, and I think there's only like two or three llamas in the bunch. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, do they spit at you? They do and we're sharing. <laughs> Typically, they don't. Uh-huh. Um, they, unless you're in kind of in the crossfire when they're sitting <laughs> at one each another, other. Yeah. If they're having a disagreement. <laughs> but, uh, no, they don't. Uh, they're not like you know when you go to a zoo and yeah. um, an alpaca or a llama will you know basically look you in the eye and spit. Yeah. They don't do that with us. I yeah. think um, kind of that's probably a. Um, a as to whether how happy they are or yeah, not. I now, think... when we shear, which mm-hmm. is once a year, which is usually at the end of. Um, June, early July, when we shear, then they're not too crazy about that. So they do spit yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, if that's all they do, I'm okay with them. <laughs> now, I have the most beautiful alpaca uh, cover. It's like a, a cape that I bought. And it is so warm, I cannot believe it. And, yeah. and do you um, use the wool or do you sell it? Yeah, we actually, um, we play with a little bit, but we have too much, so we ship most of it to the Woolen Mill in Alberta. There's one in Carstairs, mm-hmm. um, Woolen Mill, and then the product comes back to us in a more finished form. So we've got things like duvets, yarn, lots of yarn, uh, some rovings for people that like to spin or, you know, fiber artists that like to play with that. Uh-huh. Um, Alpaca is a little different. It's not like wool in the sense that it's not barbed, so it's considered a flat fiber. Yes. And but it's got very good insulating quality qualities, which is why it's um it's so warm. So we have socks and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, most of it comes back, and then we sell it as a finished product. Oh, nice! I I I bought the uh, the 
the Cape in Quesnel at a shop that was just down from the Holly Clinic, and it's closed now. But, oh. uh, uh, you know, I it's just a wonderful, but it's too warm sometimes, so I don't wear it all the time. I don't think people under uh, realize how, wool, how Apaca is so warm. Like, it's really insulated. There's no wind can get through that cape. Yeah, no, it's quite different, and it's interesting because it's, it's all of our alpaca. Um, it, it's got wonderful insulating qualities, mm-hmm. but one thing it lacks is it lacks the barbs. Like, there's little yes. tiny barbs on wool, which is what makes it really nice to spin with. Yes. So quite often what they'll do um, for socks and a lot of products, they'll actually blend it a little bit with wool, yeah. but they'll choose a high-end wool, and then that way it's easier to spin. Yeah. Um, we play with it a little bit. Like, I, you know, I do a few little crafty things with it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, when we shear, we'll, you'll end up with about 100 pounds, and so it's a little bit too much. Wow. I have a volume to, to <laughs> yeah. do anything yeah. yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. And then um, you have different seasons that you do different things, like an apple season, you make uh, apple cider vinegar, I guess. Yeah, we have a little apple press that we picked up. Well, probably about four or five years ago, we actually had it. Um, we ordered it from a fellow down in Oregon who makes little presses, and it's um, it's a proper little press. We had an older one that had a great big flywheel on it that you yeah. had to really crank. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> when you're when you're grinding or squishing any large volume of apples, um, your arm gets pretty tired. So we sold that, and now we have a little electric one. Yeah. And oh, um, but yeah. yeah, so we do that. We we get people coming to squeeze um, press their own apples. Nice. Um, and then we often let some of turn into cider, like apple cider vinegar. Yeah, and um, and you make apple jelly as well, do you not? Yeah, apple jelly and apple pie syrup, that's probably one of the most popular Ooh. things, apple pie, pie syrup. Yeah, and, and then you do tours of your property. Yeah, we've been doing that for, um, gee... Probably about 15 years, we actually got, um, we became one of the first and only agritourism farms that were in the in the Caribou region. Oh, nice. And um, so we're actually really fortunate. We have some highway, highway signage that points to where the farm is. Mm-hmm. And um, we've, over the years, we've done lots of birthday parties and farm tours, and we've hosted some festivals and events. Um, things have changed a wee bit, mm-hmm. like everything does. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually returned to work full-time, so... And then my husband just retired, so I think um, we'll probably carry. We're certainly carrying on with a few farm tours, but no, I don't think we'll be doing birthdays anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got a little um, bed and breakfast on the property, and we do that through Airbnb, yeah. which is quite fun. And it's um, it's in the upstairs of our barn. Well, the part that I liked that I, if I was younger, you know, that people on horse rides. Uh, trail rides could come down and stay overnight and and I just thought that was great if if I got on my horse on um, Blackwater Road <laughs> I don't know how many days it would take me <laughs> but it would be fun to end up uh, there because you would come out you can come out at Bushy Lake on Blackwater yeah. can you not yeah and believe it or not before highway 97 mm-hmm. north was put in this was the road to Prince George. It used to be called Fort George at that point, but to get from Quinnell mm-hmm. to Fort George or to Vanderhoofer to Fort St. James, mm-hmm. it was on the Telegraph Trail, which Bushy Lake's located on, and that was the road to the north. Yes, so and and I, cool. I still see trucks sneaking by that way, great big trucks with loads of stuff so they can miss the... The scales. The scales. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. But I don't, they, you know, that's their problem. They'll, the, the police aren't uh, not aware of that. Now, the, right now, you're um, 
working on wreaths and evergreen products for Christmas. Yes, yeah. we're doing. Yeah, we're actually just started up our nineteenth year. I still can't believe that it's been nineteen years we've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, we make um, fresh, natural Christmas wreaths right here on the farm, and then we ship them out. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a fairly big industry in the Maritime provinces, and. Mm-hmm. Um, Ted, my husband, is from back east. He's from um, New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And um, it was his idea. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have actually wreath machines. So they're all handmade, but they're on machines. Oh. So the machine does the wrapping rather than doing the wrapping by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can, uh, we, I think this year, like we've done up to like 1,500 wreaths in the season over about six weeks. But we've, again, we've reduced that quite a bit. Now we're, I'm thinking this year we might do 250 to 300 wreaths. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's still a fairly big undertaking. We collect all of the tips, mm-hmm. as we call them, or evergreen boughs locally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just finished doing that and with the snow, kind of hampered that a little, a little bit, but we got that done. Mm-hmm. And I think we brought in around 3,000 pounds of tips. Everything gets weighed. Wow. Um, based upon the weight, we kind of have a rough idea of how many wreaths we're able to make mm-hmm. um, with how much evergreens that we've brought in and um yeah we I, yeah we ship them out um we ship them in the mail like by canada post mm-hmm. and uh, we've shipped them into the u.s before mm-hmm. um and uh, we sell a lot of them locally um some things that we something that's really taken off is our wreath decorating workshops where we have traditionally people would just come to the farm to do that mm-hmm. we have a workshop in the back it's mm-hmm. all heated and we have the music going and we have treats and whatnot nice. but uh, with covid we've actually we're doing some workshops down at the bushy lake hall oh, um, just so we can still continue to offer that but allow for some um some some of the covid protocols so you do garlands and recent swags and uh Winter baskets, you yeah, have, have right. all of those, yeah. Yeah, and kissing balls, like, yeah, lots of, and it's incredible. People just love them, and they, it's a fun, it's kind of a fun job. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certainly a level of production associated with it, but um, people seem to really enjoy it, and we get good staff every year that help us out. And, uh, yeah, we'll be doing that probably for the next month. It sounds like so much fun, and it sounds like something that we did, you know, 40 years ago go out and get the tree and and make the garlands you didn't have them but you couldn't buy them in the stores and and the christmas trees i guess there was when i was a kid i don't remember how they got their tree maybe there was a guy selling trees i don't i don't remember but uh, got your own yeah you went out and got your own if you could if you didn't get caught knock knocking the neighbor's down. Um, <laughs> years ago, right, you could yeah. go pr- pretty well anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, and so you you grow herbs and garlic, and and you dry tomatoes as well. You have that available. Yeah, we've got a we have a garden, a little market garden out front with a greenhouse, and that's predominantly something that Ted looks after. We've also got some some berries. We have like things like casket berries and black currant. We try and focus a lot of the stuff. Um, that we grow on stuff that grows well here mm-hmm. um, rather than battling with something that's come in from somewhere else. Yeah. I always find it really interesting that our whole agriculture um, industry and the food that we eat is all food that's come in from, um, it's not native to Canada. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, and you think the First Nations have been here for thousands of years and they lived off the land and they ate a lot of vegetables and fruits that we simply don't 
eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the stuff we grow, they may be cultivars, but they're, they're cultivars of wild plants. So they're like things like blackcurrant or raspberry or even mm-hmm. half which comes from, um, I think, parts of Siberia. So it, it does really well in our northern climate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that, and then we process a lot of that into jams and jellies. Mm-hmm. And then um, Ted grows probably about um, 500 or so bulbs of garlic every year and then a lot of that we smoke um, his tomatoes out of the mm-hmm. greenhouse he smokes those and we dehydrate them mm-hmm. um, yeah like and then again chipotle peppers we'll do those those are hot jalapeno peppers mm-hmm. that have been smoked yeah. Um, yeah wow yeah. yeah and and you know when you talk about food um, I heard on the news uh, that 40% of Americans are food um Worried, like they're they're worried about forty percent are with going to the food banks. Wow. Nearly half of, and I I keep thinking about that. Heloise, how are we going to feed ourselves? Um, we depend so much on others for our food, yeah. and we can grow it here. And I've been sort of talking about. Um, industrial-sized greenhouses up here where we can, even geothermal, I've looked them all up because I'm kind of concerned about um, what's going on down south and uh, how much food we import from them and why aren't we going to be food uh, independent? Yeah, I know I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, lot, the food security issue is a big, big, big one. Mm-hmm. And it's bizarre, too, that we've allowed um, our food production to become big business. yes. You know, like um, you know, like the big grocery stores of the world and things like that. And mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of the food can be produced locally, but you need to purchase it directly from the farmer if you don't, mm-hmm. um, if you're unable to grow it yourself. And then you know, maybe encourage more root sellers, and mm-hmm. perhaps we could have community yep. root sellers. Yes, like that's something else that one could perhaps consider is to actually have um, you know community-based root sellers. It's it's interesting, isn't it, how things have. Shifted, yeah. Um, from that dependence to, uh, or where people were independent and now they become dependent. Yeah, we always had a garden. My mom always had a garden for root vegetables. And uh, when I was a kid, if there was a there was a, a lot across my home, and all of the neighbors plant got together and planted potatoes and yeah. shared the largesse from that. And when I was in Spence's Bridge, we had a community garden there. My, Wednesday was my day to weed and water. And, right. And um, I see that it's happening more and more in Prince George that you see the community gardens starting. And with the COVID, um, our... Um, plant people, NAPS, said that they ran out of seeds and everything this year, which makes me feel a little bit better. But uh, I think we've got to start uh, being, stop being lazy and start having a little garden in the backyard. We, at mom and dad's, they didn't have a lawn. They had a garden. What's a lawn for anyway? I don't see the point of a lawn unless you got a goat. Well, it's incredible how much energy people put into their lawns. I know. It's like, I mean, we, we've, we've obviously got a backyard, but our, we don't have it. We have one lawnmower, which we mow around our garden beds yes. in our in our garden. But the rest of the gar- yard is actually eaten. We put the horses and the alpacas on the front yard. I don't want to spend that time cutting the lawn. But, you know, it's amazing how much pride people put into their gardens. It's a, it's, it, there's a fair amount of resources that go into gardens or like into yards, right? Lawns and whatnot. Yeah, and poison. Yeah, you know they get yeah. in there and they have to poison dandelions. What do you think feeds the bees? 
Yeah, and dandelions are edible. You can actually eat the entire plant. Yeah, you can. <laughs> the root, I think they use the root um, to um, make coffee with when coffee wasn't available. Uh, they, they used it for something. Uh, I don't know what it tastes like. I'm sure it's bitter because I have eaten... When I was a kid, I ate everything. I had to try it. <laughs> yeah, no, dandelions are edible. Um, cattails and ponds are edible. Mm-hmm. Um, fireweed is edible. Like, there's a lot of plants that are edible that we simply just don't use that, yeah. that are just around us, you yeah. know? Well, and, and there's medicine, too. You know, I was when I was going up my driveway today, I really, I looked at the, uh, the red willow, and that's... The natives used that for medicine, and it was the aceta uh, aspirin. Anyway, <laughs> it, aspirin's in that in the in the bark. It, right. There's so much. Um, do you once this is all over? Do you have a like a, a time when people can come down and learn about how to make uh, apple cider when when all this COVID dies down? Yeah, certainly. Um, and we've done some workshops, like we've done some wild foraging workshops on our property. And um, we have 65 acres, and it's just an old, it's an old cutover. Somebody harvested it before we moved here, mm-hmm. probably over the last 20 to 30 years that they actually logged it. Mm-hmm. And we, um, we did a wild foraging workshop, oh, I don't know, a couple of years back. And I couldn't believe it. We found 30 edible plants on our property. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's quite remarkable. So, yeah, I know we're definitely open to doing workshops and, and sharing um, some of the stuff that we've learned or, you know, some of our knowledge. A lot of it's kind of like the school of hard knocks. Yeah. And <laughs> just trying stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And so um, I think people can get a hold of you at uh, 250-249-5329. It's called Moose Meadows. It's um, in Bushy Lake. And if you haven't got anything to do on a Sunday, phone first. Make sure that uh, it's okay to drive down. But I think it would be a lovely drive on a Sunday, Heloise. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I really am glad. I want to come down and see. And you've got horses and donkeys and and cats and rats and elephants. And and sure as you know, (laughs) the lovely of the the all is the unicorn. (laughs) You gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your little paradise. And uh, I hope people will take a drive down. But phone first. You gotcha. And thank you so much. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to... To, to chat to you and to share. Oh, it's been fun. Thank you so much, Heloise. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll I'll talk to you soon, probably after Christmas or something. See how things are going. Okay, that would okay. be lovely. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Yeah. And this Bye-bye. is bye. This is Senior Moments, and we're going to take a short break. Construction is complete on a project to upgrade the intersection of Domano Boulevard with St. Lawrence Avenue and Gladstone Drive. The new signals operate in a manner similar to those at 22nd and Aspica. The lights remain green on Domano until a vehicle approaches the intersection on Gladstone or St. Lawrence. The updated intersection has vehicle detection technology and pedestrian-activated crosswalks. The City of Prince George thanks residents for their patience as crews carried out this important operation and for driving cautiously around road crews. 
The Alzheimer's Society of BC has extended their weekly Wednesday webinars into November. Topics include a wide range of challenges faced by those afflicted by Alzheimer's and the people caring for those with dementia. The topic of the next presentation is preparing for the holidays during COVID-19. That's the next Alzheimer's Society of BC educational webinar, Wednesday from 2 to 3. To register or for more information, visit alzbc.org webinars. Forecast from Environment Canada, today a mix of sun and cloud with wind from the north at 20k, a high of 4. Tonight a few clouds, wind from the southwest at 30 gusting to 50, becoming light overnight, a low of minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 12. On Wednesday increasing cloudiness, wind from the northwest at 20 in the afternoon, a high of minus 1 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 10. Brought to you in part by Riverbend Seniors Community on 93.1 CFISFM, this is Senior Moments. Sharon, we're back on. Okay, um, I wanted to give the phone number for Moose Meadows again. It's 250-249-5329. And it's uh, 15 kilometers west of Cornell. And uh, I think you would have fun to go down there and have a look. Maybe get some Christmas wreaths or some garlic. Or Are we ready? Uh, no, I had to leave a message. So. Oh, okay. So our next guest um, is Kalma Arnett. Um, I don't know if she's forgotten. She's um, a registered psychologist who works with children. And I asked her to come on because she works with autistic children um, as well as children who are conflicted and I was thinking of grandparents raising grandchildren and um, f- having a hard time figuring out what um, is uh, going on with their grandchild. Um, so she does an assessment, um, and I wanted to find out how you get a referral to her. I know that I had two cousins uh, as uh, little kids. They were really different. Nobody knew what was uh, going on with them and um, when I got older I found out that even my aunt did divorce their father I found out that they were raised in a very violent home my aunt and uh, my uncle then were very violent to one another and this had a terrible effect on my cousins but nobody told us the truth about what was going on at home and so I'm sorry that um, Kama hasn't called because she agreed to and... Uh, could be she got tied up with something. Yeah, she could be with uh, a child or something. Yeah. So I guess um, what, I'll t- what I'll do right now is just talk about some of the things that have come across uh, my Facebook page. And, <laughs> and, and one of them is... Um, People saying they're concerned about, uh, you know, people not having jobs, people being out of work, uh, COVID affecting um, people's um, livelihood, and that everybody has a right to have a job, have a roof over their head, have three meals a day. And, and you know, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I watched a program on TV the the other day about the industrial age with the 20th century and people who didn't want to go to school or finish school 
um, went and worked in factories. They went they could get worked, into the workforce. They worked in factories. They didn't have to have um, a grade 12 education. Um, they went into the mills because they didn't have to have a grade 12 um, education. And so they, they were lured into making money at a young age. And, um, and they learned on the job. And now there's no more factories. The, there's probably our guest. Um, there's no more factories. And so what, what's the plan for the people who were working in the mills? Um, people who were lured out of school into um, uh, working in factories and, and mills and things. I, um, I really think that this is our guest now. And so... Okay, so put Kalma on. Okay. Are you there, Kalma? Yes, I am. Oh, hi, hi. Uh, um, I was just trying to fill in time until we got you. So, Kalma Arnett, you're um, a B basic science psychology um, master in education. Oh uh, yes, yeah, Bachelor of Science in Psychology and a Master's of Education in um, pro Professional Education, specializing in Applied Behavior Analysis. Yes. Now, and I was just talking about um, why I called you was because of grandparents raising grandchildren and that uh, um, children's behavior sometimes is... is um, you can't. You don't understand what's going on, and you do work with autistic children, and you do do assessments on children who are having um, uh, behavior problems, according to the parents or the teacher. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. Sometimes you know we we provide a lot of support and advocacy for for parents and kids uh, in regards to the schools, and and we'll we'll often participate in team meetings and uh, help schools come up with different strategies for dealing with behavior challenges that are happening at school and, of course, at home as well. Yeah. And so how come all of a sudden we have um, these behavior problems when, when I went to school, um, there was the odd kid that got into trouble, but it was nothing like it is today. Have you got a theory on this? Well, I, I think the, the diagnostic criteria of what autism was uh, 30 years ago compared to what it is now is drastically different. Um, that back 30 years ago, even when I was in high school, uh, in the, the early 90s, it, it was more so the child that didn't have very, very good language skills, that, that maybe um, uh, had some odd behaviors, um, kind of was more off to their off on their own a little bit, um, or or were maybe more of the aggressive kids yep. uh, that that had to kind of be isolated and in their own little classrooms. Mm -hmm. um, and and now we're seeing so much more of it in the mainstream classroom. But I think that that's because the criteria has changed over the last thirty years, uh, and really what autism is now. Uh, is a much more dynamic and diverse uh, disability than it was back in the day. Yeah, because um, I think it was CBC the other night had a little vignette of a young boy who collected cars. And mm -hmm. I didn't quite get it at first that he was autistic. But 
he he was like a genius. He had um, each year of his collection on a on a like a library, like on a tray, and this child developed a way of setting up a scene and taking a picture of, say, a barn with old wrecks around it that were just miniature vehicles that he made look old and everything. And, I mean, it was so realistic, and people are buying his photos now. And this is a child who might have been put um, aside 30 years ago. Absolutely, and that's one of the defining characteristics of autism, is having um, a very, very keen interest in things, mm-hmm. um, and almost rigid, too. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, they, they understand a topic, or uh, especially in something of interest. You know, we always, um, if, you, if you've ever heard or seen that show, The, the Big Bang uh, Theory, mm-hmm. Sheldon, Sheldon Cooper was so fascinated with trains. Yes. Right? And he could tell you everything there was to know about trains. Yes. The typical person, we know that a train runs on a track. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. But, but, but he knows everything. And because it's just so interesting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they often, that's how they engage with people, mm-hmm. is by sharing in their interests and what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this young fellow found a man... I don't know where he was, but the CBC arranged for them to meet, and the man collected wheel cars. And he and this young boy just, you know, had such a wonderful day together. And it was such a wonderful way of presenting um, autism that this isn't a person who can't do something. In fact, they can do something that I can't do. That's exactly it, and and I think that's a, a big key it is understanding the all the wonderful qualities that a person with autism has, and and to use those to motivate and engage them rather than uh, a way to ostracize them, and and that's that's exactly we we often. Um, we, we don't understand everything that, that they understand, mm-hmm. so let, let's, let's engage with them, yeah. and we, we might learn more about ourselves mm-hmm. uh, by, by finding out what they're interested in. Yeah, I think that their minds are very interesting, because I, my own self, that I just think they're brilliant, and... Uh, uh, th- it was such a wonderful thing to put on just before I came to talk to you, <laughs> you know, because um, I I only know one autistic person who's on the spectrum, and, and he's on our board of directors, and he has his own shows here, and uh, he's, he's a very able young man and quite uh, lovable, though you have to get used to his rigidity, and, uh, and, and you do, you know, you do get used to this is just part of it, the spectrum. But now there's, there must be, like, uh, people who are autistic who are totally isolated and um, uh, non-communicative. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and they're, they're still the ones that are on the lower end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're often ones that are, are um, you know, in group homes yeah. uh, or, or need full care throughout their lives. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they they can't offer society uh, something, something in return. 
uh, there's there's so many different opportunities for for young people. I I know of young people that work at the library, um, sorting books, mm-hmm. putting mm-hmm. books away. I, I know people that work at, at the movie theater, mm-hmm. or, or they just do simple things like delivering a newspaper with support. Yes, yeah, and and I was saying, you know, like I was just talking to someone before you about uh, our food and that we need to have uh, huge, big greenhouses to grow our own food all year round. And part of that, in my mind, was um, people with autism and other uh, challenges could be working in a greenhouse. Absolutely, and that's... It's very repetitive work. Yeah, working working in a greenhouse or or in a factory. You know, like places like Amazon, they, yes. they hire a lot of people with autism because their job is so repetitive, and and these individuals can do the job so well and so quickly because it's the same thing over and over again, and they they learn how to do it and then it's done. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish that we could do that because it would give uh, um, them jobs. And I've had experience with people like uh, when we were kids, there was Charlie, he was deaf. And, uh, but his mother was very, uh, she didn't see him as having a, a disability. And uh, he just hung out with us kids and he did get a job. And he, um, that was before they taught them how to speak. And mm-hmm. but but we had hung with him all our lives. He grew up with us, so we understood him perfectly. And and I had another um, relative that had um, uh, water on the brain, and he had a huge big head. And his mother um, gave him chores to do, like doing the dishes and setting the table and things like that. And and so I met people in my life that were not treated as unable. That's right. And and I think that's the key, Sharon, is understanding that just because a, a person's brain works a little bit differently and they learn differently doesn't mean that they, they can't participate. They can't be part of a family. They can't be part of, of society. Um, and and the, I, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Temple Grandin. No. But she, she's a very famous person with autism, and her mom was exactly the same. She didn't allow her mm-hmm. to, to use her behaviors to get out of expectations. She mm-hmm. still had to have manners. She still had to, to help set the table. She still mm-hmm. had to do her homework. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's having those expectations, but also realizing the limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're going to push them a little bit farther than what they are capable of doing, then you may have some behavior challenges. Yeah. But it, but at the same time, you still have to teach them these new skills and teach them to overcome some of the challenges that they're having. You know, teach them some emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Teach them. Teach them how to manage their anger. Mm-hmm. And, you teach them what they need to do when they get frustrated mm-hmm. and 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 anxious and mm-hmm. uh, things things aren't going the way they're expecting to. Mm-hmm. Well, they're trying to communicate with us, and we don't understand their communication, and so they get frustrated with us, and um, and that's about taking the time because I'm not comparing. Um, 
uh, a human to an animal, but we do communicate with our dogs and our cats who are not vocal. And we, right. ca we can do the same with a human being who is unable to speak, um, but they have behaviors, if you watch them, that will give you the information about what they need, uh, whether it's to go to the bathroom, whether it's to go out to have some water, whatever. If you pay attention, you'll, you'll communicate. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, there, there's a, a saying that I remember Temple Grandin saying one time, is that people with autism think in pictures. Yeah. So any time that you're trying to communicate with somebody that is nonverbal, um, and, and I will tell parents this all the time, try and show them a picture of what you want them to do or where you're going, and it's going to help them understand what you're asking of them or where you're going. And a lot of times that will uh, dissipate a lot of different behavior, uh, behavior challenges, but it also helps to increase language mm -hmm. yeah. because they can connect the language to the picture, yeah. and that's often how we will teach kids to, to talk mm -hmm. in first teaching them to recognize the picture. Yeah, we did that with Dick and Jane books and, and yeah. you know, and Dr. Seuss and um, with little kids. So why wouldn't it work with all children? I think it's about patience and um, about a different way of communication. Uh, yeah. Because I've had, I had a horse that uh, actually sent me pictures uh, in my mind, I could be sitting on my deck, and she was very old, and she she wanted to pass away, and I kept stopping her, and she would send me a picture, um, and I would run, and as soon as I would uh, find her, she would be laying down, and I would get her up and put her in the river, and stand. you can make a horse drink, you know. <laughs> But it was amazing to have a, a, an animal communicate with me in that way. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's about opening your mind to receive anything, you know, and, and uh, trust it, trust it. Um, it looks like I have to wrap up. This is very, very, very interesting, Kalma Arnett. <laughs> yes, I love talking about, about children and, and autism and all the wonderful things that these people um, that have these challenges offer our society every day. So I'll give out your phone number, 250-562-0173, Kalma Arnett, and you, and you have a, a web page. And so if you are interested in learning why your grandchildren or your children are acting this way, talk to Kalma. You betcha. Give me a call anytime. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Um, it's been very informative. Thank you, Kalma. You bet. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. So yes. this is Senior Moments, and I hope that you learned something today. I did. <laughs> and uh, we'll tune in next week, and this is Senior Moments signing off for today. Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM and the Prince George Council of Seniors. Senior Moments is produced by Sharon Hurd with production assistance from A.J. Fair. Theme music is courtesy of Goff Brooks Music. Sponsored by Riverbend Seniors Community, catch the rebroadcast of today's show tonight at 9 or replay past shows through the podcast at cfisfm.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George 
a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.